When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Good morning and welcome to episode 88 of the Jaguar Report podcast. My name is Gus Logue, joined as always by my co-host, Rod Dog. I mean, John Shipley. John, how have you been doing the past week? 88 episodes. That, that is, we're, we're almost at a hundred, dude. That up there. Can, can we synchronize 100 with like a a notable like event? That's what I'm saying. An event's yeah. a good idea. I was thinking yeah. that like I was having a hard time coming up with things since we record in different quote studios, but yeah, we got to celebrate in some way. Yeah, an event would be <laughs> we record at like a bar or something. Would have been a good week for it last week, you know, celebratory mm-hmm. week. Trent Bulky stepped up to, as we call it, the batter's box at a <laughs> Miller Electric Center. It, yeah. you know, it t- took like a couple weeks, but, you know, you were there. I thought, like, you know, 30 minute press conference. I, I just said, no, like, I know I'm not a fan, and I definitely saw fan reactions. Like, I, I, I think Balky could have said literally anything, and probably a lot of people would have been upset. Uh, it's just kind of the kind of aura that, you know, like he kind of just has, like, in, in the fan base. But uh, as a neutral observer sitting there, it was a pretty entertaining 30 minutes, I thought. <laughs> you know, he, he was he was bobbing and weaving. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was bobbing, weaving through all the questions, through all the reporters. His little like back and forth was with Rick was probably my favorite about like Jadavion Clowney. The fact that like Rick like named four names off the bat was just funny. So, yeah, it was definitely a performance for the ages. It was after not seeing some just Jaguars football for a little bit. That was a good show. And there are a couple others like too, like 
Josh Uche. <laughs> I, I, I know Chase Young had some terrible plays against the Lions, but I still think Jaguars' defense is obviously better over the second half season if you add a little more juice. And then his answer, he talks about having Smooth, talks about having Chase on. Like, that's just where I think. Like, and, and I, I guess that would lead to my first, like, the biggest impression from the press conference. He also talked about a young man that they drafted to develop. Obviously, you see Abdullah played what? Like, I think five games last year. Once Smoot was back and, like, getting, like, his full, like, share of reps, he was a, you know, healthy scratch the entire season. And it kind of seemed like that was one of the examples that, you know, Bulk kind of mentioned that one of the bigger themes of the press conference was him saying that they just didn't have maybe the best developmental plans, you know, for rookies. You know, he was asked specifically about his own draft record and, and stuff, whether he's drafted enough blue chip players. He said, quote, we feel we have some pretty good football players. Sometimes you have to execute the vision that you had for these players. Coach and I have talked about this last year's class in particular, the onboarding process of them, getting them up to speed, trusting them. You're in a developmental league now. You don't have time to say that we can shelf them for a year or shelf them for two years. You got to get them up to speed quick. And when you go in, you have as much collaboration as we do. Because trust me, we have a lot of collaboration on these decisions. It's not one person making these decisions. When you look at bringing in a player and the vision that you have for them, at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, did we execute that vision or didn't we? If you ask coach, and certainly you're asking me right now, we've got to do a better job of that vision and executing it. I.e., every draft pick is good. <laughs> it's and the ones that are not good, everybody pick them. But the ones that are good, they're not getting enough play. Time. Like it, it was the question basically was: Have you drafted well enough in three years? And one thing I've noticed covering Bulky, especially since the 2022 draft is around draft time. He never says I drafted these players or anything like that. He always likes to say, no, the Jaguars drafted them. We drafted them. That's kind of a way to, you know, like a early like umbrella from you know, the criticism. Like, no, like it wasn't <laughs> just me. So that's the way I kind of read that. So I'm saying, well, anybody who hasn't worked out, I'm not the only one who picked them. And for the guys who are still up in the air, it kind of seemed like he didn't think the Jaguars coaches. And I thought it was like, you know, kind of a dark shot across the bow at, you know, Doug Peterson and the offensive coaching staff in particular, and even probably the outside defensive staff that they just didn't play enough of his picks. Yeah. Which is interesting. The draft pick that he had that he just refused to name your Sierra Abdullah. He played five games and had 45 defensive snaps over the season, which is a little bit less than a full game. And he had one solo tackle, one quarterback hit, no sacks, no tackles for loss. And so, like, I feel like the whole development thing is a little bit of a chicken and egg thing a lot, where, like, I feel like Jags fans have been saying for a while, too, like, oh, like, maybe we've actually been drafting, like, good players for a while, but they just haven't developed. But it's obviously kind of hard to nail which one is which a lot of times, so because because they go hand in hand so much. But, like, for 2023, I feel like it's pretty obvious, like, which one was worse off. Like, Brenton Strange, like, didn't show anything that so he, like, should be playing more snaps than Luke Farrell. And, like, uh, Tank Bigsby, I feel like, is the biggest one of them all, where, <clears throat> like, the coaches did play him, and then he was just, like, 
literally giving up a lot of points and having a lot of turnovers. I felt like every other touch. So like, I don't really know what Bucky wanted them to do with that situation. And then there's guys like Abdullah, who's like barely playing and is a healthy scratch when the rest of like his group is healthy. Uh, Tyler Lacey, like maybe flashed a couple of times at the end of the season, but wasn't really much. Um, and then the Ventrell Miller was like pretty much just got the Shaquille Griffin treatment. I feel like this year. Yeah, and then, like, I feel like probably the only couple guys he can make a case for and had an argument are guys like Antonio Johnson and then Parker Washington and Elijah Cooks just because the rest of the receiver room, like, obviously, like, the veterans that they were playing in front of him. Yeah. yeah. The room that he built is, like, has such bad depth that, yeah. like, his undrafted rookie who can't get it stay on the field and all the fans are claiming for is somehow a strength, okay? He definitely a couple times came off talking like a guy who hadn't built the team he was talking about, right? <laughs> that, 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 that wasn't me, right? Like he, like signal yeah, many areas. Definitely a little bit all over the place of like how sometimes he would zoom all the way back and sometimes zoom all the way in. Yeah. So like when it comes to the day two picks specifically, I think like I think the issue really goes back to whatever vision they had to begin with. Like, what vision sold, sold you that you needed a – like, what the team was missing was a power back in the third round. Even in Tank Bigsby's best range of outcomes, they're still not an eight team, right? Like, like does, does that really, like, shift, like, anything for yeah. them? Even if he, like, had, like, a semi-productive season as a backup running back. Like, their starting running back still hit 1,000 yards. It's not – that was the whole thing to begin with. There wasn't an immediate right. need there. Like, yeah, you needed another running back, but did you need to spend a third-round pick on them? So whatever vision that was to begin with. But it's also easier for a general manager up in you know the suite on Sundays to say they need to give him the ball more when the coach on the sidelines like, I need to win this game. I don't want this dude in the game right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? The thing is, like, the mistake was made when, like, they saw last season where, and was like, oh, this is a Super Bowl team. All we have to do is add, like, a backup tight end and, excuse me, uh, running back and then, like, replace our starting right tackle and right receiver and we're chilling and we're going to go win a Super Bowl. And, like, they decided that, like, before free agency in the drafts, like, you could tell here, like, coaches and players saying in, like, the Jags hype videos, whatever their offseason video thing is on YouTube, the hunt <laughs> – so, like, in the hunt, like, in whatever February episode they had, they are like, already talking about how they're going to go to this year's Super Bowl. And so, like, that's really where the problem started. And so, also, like, it's not just a 2023 thing. Like, his guy Tyson Campbell, like, we both like him, but, like, he didn't do much last year. Uh, like, first-round draft picks, Trayvon Walker, Devin Lloyd, Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne didn't like weren't as like productive as you would expect from a first round player. Uh, Walker Little like can't really stay on the field or see the field, and so like it's kind of all over the place whether you zoom in closely or zoom out. Like the 2022 class, especially like Trayvon, the best pick from that class right now, and even that is like you're still hoping for more in year three. Devin Lloyd, like if you had to grade it like on a scale, it's probably like. A C, like C plus, maybe you know, like he, yeah, like he got he got better this year, but he had two tackles for loss, zero sacks, not many quarterback hits, no forced turnovers. He picked up, he was in the right spot a couple times, and he had less pass deflections than a year ago. Like 
And then you look at, obviously, Luke Fortner, Chad Mumo, who like, kind of looks like a wasted pick right now, especially in the hindsight if you also just took Ventral Miller. And maybe the plan was to take two linebackers and get out of 48's contract, but your, your dudes just haven't developed to the point where you can do that yet. And then when it comes to, like, Britain Strange in particular, because I would imagine that's probably one of the ones that sticks in his crawl the most because – the Brendan Strange pick is probably the pick that it bulk is made as a Jaguar general manager. That and I don't know, probably the Bigsby one. It's kind of bad, but two happened in one year. But those yeah. are probably the old Trayvon one, even though that one's a little bit more uh, complex. Like those are probably the three picks he gets slammed the most for. And as he also made it very clear, he reads everything. And we'll talk about that, but it, it makes sense for him <laughs> to kind of be maybe sensitive over that pick. But like even on draft day, like we were they projecting him to be better than Luke Farrell? And why is that your argument for a second round tight end? You know, like just I tight ends, especially take a while to develop everything pointed to a third year tight end like Luke Farrell, who's gotten two years of playing experience to be better than Britain Strange, but like even in the best case scenario, what was you know he providing? And I get why the offensive staff didn't use him. Like he just like he played like a niche role you know he probably he probably got used like properly honestly like i'm not i'm not gonna blame doug peterson for playing the better player you know maybe they thought he wasn't going to be the better player in april but yeah i don't think you can blame the coaching staff for not playing the better player would it look better for bulky if they didn't play feral absolutely but that's that kind of shows you what the like disconnect it wants and needs from front office and head coach can be sometimes like Front office wants their picks to look good, even over results sometimes. And head coach, more often than not, they like they're just trying to trying to win. Yeah, they live on results. Yeah. All right. What's another uh, takeaway you had? Number two. Beat beats everything. The the Ryan Nielsen bit was. <laughs> I he didn't say many things to me that I thought were just like bizarre or something or that. Like, he didn't say many things in general that I even maybe disagreed with. He didn't say many things I thought that were outrageous or that were deserving of, like, a big reaction outside of maybe the Josh Allen stuff, which we'll tackle next. But the one thing he did say to me that I'm just like, come on, you're just – you're messing with me. When, like, when you say this publicly is the, like, Ryan Nielsen man versus own stuff. And mm. that – the fact that he, he, he like opened it saying he doesn't read everything, but he thought the man coverage stuff was overblown. That's so meta, dude. Like you have to be a super online to know that's even a thing people are thinking. Yeah. yeah. Like, you, <laughs> that's a thing people are talking about on like Twitter and like websites like, like my own. It's not like ESPN's running the story. Like do the Jaguars need, you know, press corners or anything like that. You know, there's, Nothing like that. So that right. that that just showed me like and for a record, all data says that that interpretation, you know, is, is wrong. But I will say inside of the bit and the fact that it's clear that he does read everything, it's interesting to me. If he thinks that about the cornerbacks, then maybe my take, my lock last week of them taking a cornerback in the first round is already kind of busted. I I, mm-hmm. I the fact that he said that like a day or two after I said it, I wanted to like pound the table and discuss because <laughs> it doesn't matter if he's right or wrong. I think he's wrong about them not potentially needing to revamp the cornerback room because of the scheme. I think he's wrong. What matters is 
what he thinks. You know, <laughs> he's the dude yeah. making decisions. You know, it literally does not matter if he's right or wrong. It just matters what his opinion is because that is what will shift what he will do. And if that's the way he thinks, if he thinks it's, you know, uh, over exaggerated or anything like that, then you know maybe they're not taking a quarterback at seventeen. Maybe I look like a buffoon. I almost feel like he was like less trying to say like, oh, I'm right about like my stance on this and just trying to point at people and be like, no, I'm wrong. Like, no, I, I, I hop on the old bird app. Like I read all the comments and like, like all these charts are just BS. And like, he was like, basically just like calling everyone online gamers. I feel like in that response. And that was it. Like, cause I like, I like, as you said, it's pretty obvious that the Falcons ran a very man heavy defense in terms of those stats. Like I think, Next-gen stats and sports info solutions are probably, like, the two best data sources outside of true media. But, like, like, you and I don't have true media or anyone like us. So, And, like, they both have the Falcons, I believe, being number one in the league in amount of, like, press man coverage and just man coverage. And so, like, Balky did bring up a point about, like, match coverages and how, like, zone kind of sort of turns into man sometimes. And, like, that that was, like, a true point, but it's, like, that doesn't really like make up for the whole thing. Like it's not like all of or the majority of the time that the Falcons were playing man and press man last year. It was like actually zone that turned into man. Like sure that did happen some of the time. Like that's an ex- explanation for part of it, but not for all of it. And so like I feel like that was again just him being like just seeing that one like next gen said next gen stats chart that was posted on Twitter and being like mm, gamer. Yeah. It, that- the man match thing I thought was him like just dangling the keys for anybody who wants like a simplified basically response and can point to that and be like, oh well, he said you know this, etc. So that it'll be interesting to see how much he truly believes that because uh, like I think ESPN put out a stat like that day saying the Falcons ran, like, the most press coverage in the NFL. So, like, like one way or another, there's going to be an adjustment. The Jaguars ran almost no press coverage under, you know, Mike Caldwell. So, end of the day, there's going to be an adjustment. He he did seem like he loved Nielsen, though. You know, like, he he he, he seemed like he's a big, uh, big Nielsen guy. One of the funniest bits from the whole thing was definitely the fact that Nielsen got, like, dragged up from Disney World to interview and get the job. That was, right. that was a nice bit. But blame the Falcons for that one. Blah. Blocking interview requests, and then these dudes all leave anyways while they hire a defensive-minded head coach, etc. I think the next thing, probably the most important thing, was the Josh Allen dialogue. You know, he said outright that Josh Allen will be a Jaguar next year. He said he didn't want to, like, proclaim that they're going to use a tag or anything like that, but we emphasize again that one way or another, Josh Allen will be a tag, meaning if we have to franchise tag to make that happen, they will. And then, of course, said that they, you know, haven't started contract conversations with him as of last Thursday. He said those are start are to start. He said Josh wants to be there. They want him there, etc. They just have to, you know, meet somewhere where they think the money's right. Mike Florio came out with a report. I think it was it was either the next day or. Two days later, where he said Josh Allen's yeah, that he said Josh Allen's camp was unhappy that basically Bulky said that without telling them first that hey, you know nothing's really going as of yet. I 
feel like I think I, I said on ten ten like an hour before the press conference. I feel like I've said on here like five or six times that yeah, like negotiations haven't started. <laughs> they won't be starting for a while. Like it, it just seems like very obvious, just like in all the language that he used that. Yeah, Josh Allen will be a Jaguar. It's not him, like, jumping up and clicking his heels. <laughs> being like, yeah, I can't wait to go out and sign Josh Allen to a big contract. Like, seems like he's begrudgingly like, yeah, I know that he has to get signed. I think they're going to franchise tag him and do the Evan Ingram, Ken Robinson thing where they try to work out an extension. The only thing is, this isn't signing a tight end. <laughs> you know, this isn't signing a, like – second, third-tier left tackle contract. This is a major pass rusher contract. This is so much more complicated than those. It's not yeah. something you, you can just say because you got it done with Ingram and Robinson, in my opinion. And Ingram, for the record, also, it took them quite a while to get, get that done. It, it it just doesn't seem like it's something that will happen very quickly. And if you look back at Balky's history, especially in San Francisco, He's just somebody who, when it comes to these big deals, he he's just hesitant. You know, I I, I know he kind of bucked that reputation a bit in free agency a few years ago. That felt more like the situation kind of pushed him to where, you know, he had to so he could field a competitive team. But when it comes to in-house extensions, it just doesn't feel like that's really his mo. And I, I understand why his camp would be upset if like if if that's the first thing that you hear. In this situation, it's not exactly negotiating in good faith. Like I, I just, I can't imagine that when negotiations start, the two sides would be close. You know, which I, I just, I think that they'll obviously have a lot of room to make up. And I, I don't get why you don't start them. Like I know they had the defensive coordinator search, <laughs> but the season's been over for a couple of weeks now. You know, like I, I don't know, but they have some time. You know, they have about a month, month and a half to get something done, but. That I thought was interesting, just outright admitting that, no, we haven't even begun that conversation yet. For sure. I think uh, a lot of fans like got in a panic last summer because at voluntary training camp, Josh Allen didn't show up and he was training by himself. And then that ended up being like not a worry at all during uh, mandatory training camp. And he ended up having the best season of his career. But I feel like that might have been – a little bit of like a warning shot. And then I feel like this like Florio report was definitely a big warning shot where like, obviously like, I think they were probably already pissed that like they were kind of like waiting around for the Jags to start conversations. But then like when Balky just went and said, yeah, he's going to be wearing a Jaguars uniform in 2024 without having started private conversations. And that was kind of like their last straw. And so then like another warning shot kind of got let off. And so it, like just saying, yeah, he'll be a Jaguar next year. Just doesn't sound or feel as complimentary to me as I think people. Yeah. Like I, I know people were obviously happy that he said it, like because it put away the fear of Josh Allen suiting up for another team. But if you're just looking at it big picture wise, I think it was like a positive thing. It yeah. it seemed more like a him like stating a matter of fact, like per the NFL rules, like I control your destiny. No, totally. Like, literally just a couple of questions after that, he was talking about Trevor and his, like, contract situation, and he said something along the lines of, there's no questions or doubts about, like, where we're at with Trevor long-term. Something's going to get done. It's just a matter of when. So I'm paraphrasing that, but, like, he kind of put it into, like, a lengthier answer and, like, more of a long-term answer. He definitely said the words long-term in relations to Trevor, and the words 
next year in relations in relation to Josh. And like Josh is different from Cam and Ingram, like partly because he plays like a more premium position, but he's also like kind of premium because he's just like such a hometown guy and is like I don't know, should be a Jaguar lifer where like if Engram or Cam, like I know that people a lot of people recently have kind of like been fired about fired up about how much Cam kind of means to the team or how much his competitive means competitiveness means to the team. But Josh is like the kind of guy like Jalen Ramsey where you're like he should never ever leave the building, like without a doubt. And so it'll be interesting to see if they if the building, even if it has like new people in charge, kind of learn their lesson from last time. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason Josh Allen shouldn't be in the pride of the Jaguars, you know, one day. Like, yeah, just not a thing that should happen. It was funny that Paulkey was talking, you know, at some point in his press conference was like, you know, the good teams have guys in their second, third, fourth contracts. Well, here's a prime example to sign a guy to his second contract and, you know, do exactly that instead of having to, you know, go ahead and restart. Like, it, it just it – was, it was incredible. Bit. Like, do you think that he just wants to see him do it again before he pay, pays him? That That's what I assume. I think he doesn't want to pay him for what he sees as one-year production. I, I Again, I know he's wrong thinking that's the only year he's produced, but I really do think that's how he thinks. And at the end of the day, that's, that's what matters, right? Yeah, I think at the very least that's his argument. Yeah. Or, like, I, not paying him a lot. I, I think so, too. All right. You mentioned it, Trevor Lawrence. You know, he like you said, he said a Trevor Lawrence contract will happen eventually. It was kind of a different tune from what they were seeing in last offseason, where it seemed like Doug Peterson was kind of going out of his way to say that they were going to pay Trevor pretty soon. But a lot of times you honestly see coaches kind of talk players up that way more contract-wise than maybe front office guys do. You know, coaches obviously deal with them on a closer, more personal level, work with them every day, et cetera. I, I thought it was interesting that, you know, Balky didn't even really mention turnovers with Trevor. Like, he mentioned the injuries. And he I downright called them, like, concerning. And it, 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 it was concerning. You know, four different injuries in a year, three happening within, like, what, what was it, a six-week stretch? So, yeah. But yeah, sorry. I should have. I should have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for you. Sorry. No. So, so I, like, I, I don't disagree with him that the injuries, you know, were concerning. I mean, he said that it was a twofold issue that one didn't need to protect him better, but that Lawrence also needs to protect himself. That kind of seems like maybe something that, you know, when slash if Lawrence's camp, you know, inquires about the uh, chances of getting a new contract, maybe that's the argument he goes to is that. He needs to show that he can, you know, have a year where, you know, he stays healthy. It obviously doesn't make any sense, especially when you look at the ways that, you know, he got injured. Like the fact alone that he's admitting that they, the team itself played a role in him getting injured so many times. And I also think there were several games like Lawrence probably just shouldn't have played in. You know, if, if that happens, like how much, how different is this conversation if he just doesn't play those games as opposed to the, impression now of seeing him playing hurt you know what i mean yeah i agree with you that like i think that's going to be like balky's main argument is the health and the injuries especially like what we just saw with like joe burrow like not that anyone 
has any doubt right now compared to a year ago that like Burrow is going to be the Bengals franchise quarterback, but they did give him like the mega deal extension last summer. And then he missed the majority of this season. And like, it's possible he's like, I'm sure he's still going to be incredible, but it's possible he's not going to be the same. And so that is, does provide a lot of recency bias for Balky too. And like, I think Trevor would say himself that like he would like take some blame for the injuries and say like, I got to play like a little bit less reckless, but like I wrote like uh, like my biggest story of the year pretty much was two weeks ago writing about how like nothing was Lawrence's fault because like the team was basically just being powered by him. Like from the playoff push last year to the good start of the season this year, like Lawrence was kind of like the catalyst of it. And then it was only like once he started to kind of break down, Obviously, it didn't really hurt that or didn't help that Christian Kirk got hurt kind of at the same time. And that was like a little double whammy. But like he, the reason that he, like he was sustaining a lot of injuries was because, like, A, like you said, the team kept putting him out there like immediately after. And then B, like he felt like he had to put on a superhero cape to like really make get the team to win and like force a team to win rather than like being able to trust kind of like the coaches and players around him. And so. Again, I, I think that, like, he would say himself that, like, he needs to be re- less reckless and he needs to take better care of the ball, even though Balky didn't mention the turnovers. And he does need to, like, kind of take a little bit better care of his body. But, like, I think it's, like, the Jaguars' problem first is, like, to give him, like, the weapons and the offensive line and, like, the time to heal and, like, the stuff that he needs to perform and not feel like he has to put on that superhero cape. Yeah, 100%. And – I, I think the discussion around the offensive line will probably be, you know, centered in that because the Lawrence just can't come right back and say, like, you know, you guys acknowledge that you have one of the worst offensive lines. You put them on T-shirts and they probably exclaim the fact. It's not really something they can, you know, shy away from, that the narrative was out there and the Jaguars were just wrong. I think the offensive line is, like, the next thing. He – I didn't think he gave like a resounding endorsement for Luke Fortner or anything. You know, I, I know pe- people get upset when anybody says anything positive about Luke Fortner in any way. So when he says that he still believes Luke Fortner can be like a good starting center, obviously people are going to lose their minds. But he also talked about the fact that one, it was a systematic offensive line issue. Two, Fortner himself probably needed to get stronger. And three, he mentioned bringing in competition for guys while talking about Luke Fortner which to me was like very clear. They're going to bring somebody at the very least who can maybe push Fortner. And I'll be honest, you've been at training camp, you know, last year. I remember Fortner's rookie training camp. He's not good in training camp. If it's a competition, I, I think I, regardless of who it's against, I think he's going to lose it. Like he, he he's just not a good practice guy. The pass rush one-on-ones are routinely like, you know, just, you know, kind of a nightmare, especially. So it just goes into things, you know, like that the fact that he said it was a systematic issue kind of brings me to my next thing he said it was a systematic offensive line issue and then he used the word identity five different times when talking about their issues he said he didn't think they had an identity on offense defense or special teams and said openly you know who are we so they didn't figure that out last year that's kind of a direct shot at you know the utilization and etc he talked about identity you know, when he got asked directly about, you know, 
their short yarded situations. He said it's more of a coaching question, but I do think you've got to have an identity. <laughs> like, yeah, it's a coaching question, but it's you know it's their fault. Yeah, and, but also the collaboration. That's that's great. They're, they, they're close. Yeah, it, exactly. <laughs> Everything you know is in lockstep. So it seems like he hates the offense. <laughs> yeah, you know, like I, Michael Dorocco even asked him about like the Albert Breer report that, you know, the front office was, uh, you know, looking at the offense and stuff. And he said that him, Doug, the uh, ownership, you know, talk about everything, et cetera, but that Peterson owns the coaching staff. He said he's held responsible for the coaching staff. He supports every decision he makes 100%, but they have discussions basically about everything, but he's 100%, you know, behind any discussions. Basically, to me, it was him openly being like, yeah, like we, we, we talked about it, but we talked about a, a lot of things. But you add in that and all like the stuff he said about the offensive line's identity, like he, he mentioned getting in three point stances more. <laughs> it, it, just, it just seems like he hates like the offense, like down to like its bones. Like to me, like he, like it, it makes sense. Like when you watch them play, do they play like a Trent Bulky offense, you know, like to you? No. It definitely seems like a front office guy who's, kind of clashing with the product he's putting on the field i totally agree with that where like i think it's like a lot of clashing even though he said that it's a great like collaboration and he like kind of shot down the press report like he's also like clearly pointing fingers at the offense but like in the same token like he's not entirely wrong because i feel like you said yourself about a month ago i'm pretty sure that like the offense doesn't look like it has an identity and you were kind of like questioning what what its identity is and like that's fair for anyone time. like any point this season, I feel like. Even when like Lawrence and the entire offense was fully healthy, it was like you could sh- see shades of like the Andy Reid inspired West Coast offense, obviously. But like I don't know, they like I feel like RPOs were like their big thing last year even and a lot of outside runs for ETN and like they had like certain stuff that was their go to, or at least they tried to make it their go to. And like it was just a complete disarray this season. And so again I agree with what you're saying that it was mostly just like Bucky not being on the same terms or whatever with offensive coaches. But I think he was also right about this one. Yeah. I, 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 I stand with him in that regard. The uh, Jaguars offensive coaching staff just got bulky balled. I think, I think, <laughs> I think oh, we dude, can I got last Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, he said a few things about the defense, how he felt like, the defense was searching for plays at the end of the year. Coaches were searching <laughs> for plays. Uh, so, like they were really bad against the run. It seemed like he wasn't a fan of the defensive structure either. Like, it, it, it very much just seemed like like he hated watching that team last year. Like because didn't we all? because yeah, he he's not picking. Like obviously he's picking the players. They're picking the players. Excuse hmm. me. And. But he's not picking how they're utilized. It definitely didn't seem like he was thrilled with how a lot of guys were utilized last year, which I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's a conversation shift that they have, you know, this year. Cause it, like it, it was obvious that, you know, he wasn't happy with the, the deployment of a lot of guys, you know, rookies or not. So it, it definitely didn't seem like, and it's not just like me or local people galaxy branding. I think Josh Norris like put out there on Twitter that he watched the press conference and he thought it sounded like a guy who's fractured 
you know, with his coaching staff. I don't have any reports or anything, you know, like that. I personally haven't heard anything to those lines. But when your first couple of questions at your first press conference after season are about whether you and the head coach still like each other, and this is not the first time that has occurred. Like, you go back and read, like, some of his stuff back in San Francisco, and some of the things are the exact same. He's like, no, me and Jim, like, yeah, it's not always great, but we're in lockstep, you know, it's false narratives, etc. Like, it, it, it's understandable. All relationships have the ups and downs. And in football, it's – you have to surround yourself with guys who are on the same page to begin with because when you face adversity, you know, especially in the world of the NFL, if you don't have guys who, like, are, like, tight, like, you know, close, they're going to start pointing fingers. And so when you force a, a marriage, basically – to begin with, it definitely, you know, would be understandable why when a season goes not the way you want, people are kind of, you know, trying to find the first person they can blame. Yeah, I think the deployment point is a good one and a little bit of a red flag because it's one thing if someone like Tank Bigsby just isn't getting a lot of playing time because, like, he's turning the ball over. But, like, when there's also, like, other draft picks who are just being, like, used in ways that, like, weren't seen by everyone kind of, like, shared under one vision – in the organization, then, like, I feel like that's a real problem because, like, it, like again, it's one thing to kind of, like, look back in hindsight and be like, oh, my guy that I drafted should have gotten more playing time kind of to show, like, why he was a good draft pick. But then it's another one, like, you're kind of, like, in the draft room or, like, planning for free agency and you're, like, not locked up about, like, what players are going to fit what you want to run. Like, I feel like that's a really big problem. And so – Hopefully he gets in lockstep with Ryan Nielsen at least. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Because I mean, you look back at Peterson's two years, and maybe he just doesn't really like playing rookies. Like you had to play Trayvon; he's the number one pick. You had to play Devin Lloyd because even if you didn't play Devin Lloyd, you're playing another rookie at linebacker, so you're playing a rookie. You know, either way, you you didn't have to play Luke Fortner, I guess, but it always seemed like they were going to roll with him over Shatley regardless, and then. Other than that, how many rookies, other than Anton, obviously, have been set to play right away? I think that's it. Yeah. It's, so that's, what, four rookies out of – I think they've made 18, 19 picks the last two years who are, like, day one starters. That, that's crazy. <laughs> you know, that's – so may, maybe Peterson just doesn't like playing rookies. But you can also say maybe – they don't give them good enough rookies. I don't know. Like you said, it's like a chicken, the chicken egg, you know, conversation. Yeah. Either way, they they have their problems. It definitely seems like Balky doesn't think they have drafting problems, but they do. It. I don't know. I, I guess my final word in the press conference was it felt like a vintage Trent Balky press conference. You know, like I I've had my disagreements with moves that Trent Balky's made before. I've never been shy to criticize. It's just like I was never shy to criticize Dave Caldwell and how. If I'm still around, I won't be shy to criticize the next general manager, you know, I ever cover. But just like his style uh, and how he handles things, like it definitely feels like he has a pulse on, like he knows what the criticisms are and he's basically just going to find a way to throw it back, like, you know, in the face. And it, it also didn't seem to me like he thought that they needed like a ton to fix and that they just needed like little tweaks here and there, which, 
makes sense and is also wrong at the same time. So yeah, <laughs> I thought the same thing. <laughs> we didn't even have to explain it, but I was on the same wavelength with you with that one. My my final word from the presser was just we all got bulky bald. Yeah, it, it was it was it was good stuff. It was it was it was a vintage Trent Balky press conference. I I couldn't have asked for anything more or anything less. Yeah, you, you got anything else on it, guys? No, I've got a great hot take, though, so I'm excited for the next next segment. All right, perfect. Well, we're going to cut for a break. We'll be right back. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, John. So there's good news and there's bad news. I'll start Give with the bad news. Yeah, the bad news is that the best take I've had on this podcast died this past weekend. Uh, about 11 or 12 months ago, we were doing a podcast, and I said the Baltimore Ravens will win Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. And that was – I assume I said that after they hired Todd Monken to be their offense coordinator, but it was certainly far before they had Lamar Jackson signed under contract. And I was I was riding that take all the way through the season, but they fell to the Chiefs last weekend. And so now I need to replace my best take ever with a new one. So I've got a new best take ever. So you're saying I was right for a record? In holding me to that Super Bowl prediction? Yeah, the Ravens, yeah. Okay, go on. Yeah, Thanks. I guess. You, you, you definitely deserve a little bit of the credit. If I, if I had bet – I, I, sh- I guess it's a good thing I didn't, but I should have bet on it anyway. And if I won anything, I would have sent you like 5%. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's hear it. Five points. All right, so the new take. I think this is going to be the second best take I've come up with on the show is that the Jaguars are going to enter the 2024 season with Tyson Campbell and Darius Williams as their two best cornerbacks, unless they trade a third round pick to the New Orleans Saints for four-time Pro Bowl corner Marshawn Lattimore. So here's the thinking. Uh, like you, like you, you were talking about a little bit about it earlier where Balky said at his press conference, something that made you go, Oh, maybe they're not going to take a cornerback day one. Certainly cornerback is that like near the top of the list of like their biggest needs, but like everyone kind of knows that interior on both sides of the ball is up there too. And so may not see a cornerback taken in the first round. I think luxurious need would be like a home run, a plus 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 free agency signing, but I also doubt that he leaves Kansas city. Uh, same goes for Jalen Johnson uh, in Chicago. And so, like, Darius Williams, if he is on the roster, like, to start the new league year in mid-March, then I think he's going to be a starter in the 2024 season because, like, the Jags aren't going to just, like, cut someone that talented, like, uh, after free agency or after the drafts, like, partly because it would kind of screw Williams for the next year in terms of, like, the money he could get. But also, like, they're not going to just, like, kind of create a hole when they don't have enough opportunity to fill that hole. So basically, like, I think if Williams is on the roster in mid-March, he's going to be on the roster in mid-September. And so if the if the Jags do want to, like, make an aggressive move at cornerback, 
uh, and like upgrade William to a specific position specifically. So essentially, I think like the only way that they don't cut, uh, or I think the only way that they cut Williams is if they make a trade for Marshall Lattimore before free agency starts. And uh, Nick Underhill of NewOrleansFootball.com wrote an article titled, Will the Saints Trade Marshawn Lattimore? What could they get for the star cornerback about a week or two ago because the Saints restructured his contract? The Saints are always restructuring their contracts, but uh, Nick is a, a respected beat reporter, and like he's not the kind of guy that would like write an article with that title just for the sake of clicks or anything. Like He's doing some kind of reporting. And like the, the article is behind a payroll a paywall so i don't have a lot of other details other than that but the fact that like a reporter like him is suggesting it and like not just like a bleacher report writer and he just had a contract restructure uh to make it so that like he gets a signing bonus at the beginning of the season instead of the beginning of the new new year or something like that plus there's a lot of like obvious connections ryan nielsen coached marshawn Lattimore for a couple years in new orleans uh, same with Chris Richard, the new passing game coordinator or cornerbacks coach or whatever he is. Uh, they were both they both coached Marshawn Lattimore in New Orleans. And then last year during the draft, Trent Baalke made a trade to trade down with Mickey Loomis and it seems traded up. And so yeah, I think I think I'm like Charlie Kelly in that one meme where he's putting putting all the string putting all the dots together. So I think Marshawn Lattimore is going to be a Jaguar is essentially the take. I like it. I I, I like it. I like going down the limb like that. I put it down that Marshawn Lattimore would be a Jaguar. I, oh, I, I, I want you to know that. Yeah. That's, that's sort of holding your feet to the fire. Too. I think, I think it'd be like a Trent bulky, like level, like type move. Like it'd be probably like the type of aggressive, move that they need to make if they want to, you know, probably get over the hump or at least as all general managers want to show that they're trying to get over the hump. You don't even need to do it in a lot of cases. You just need to show that, you know, you made the effort. And plus, like you said, you know, ton of coaching, obviously connections and he, he can still go, man. You know, he's, he's still, yeah. he's still a good, a, a good cornerback. So I, I like that. He didn't, I don't think he finished last year completely healthy. And I think the past two years has been a little bit up and down health wise, which is part of the reason he would potentially be on the trading block. But when he is healthy, he's like still fantastic for sure. And like, obviously coming from the saints, he'd be a perfect scheme fit for Nielsen's press man coverage. Um, And so having him and Tyson as like your two corners would be a pretty sweet duo. Yeah. Plus, plus, uh, bulky got pictured with Doug Peterson. I mean, not Doug Peterson. Doug Morrell, <laughs> Saints offensive line huh? coach at the Senior huh? Bowl. Yeah, yeah. A lot of thoughts being connected here. I also I said a third round, a third rounder for him because Jalen Ramsey got traded to the Dolphins for pick seventy seven overall. I think it was. That's crazy. Yeah, it is. But like, they're both like, yeah. not out, not washed, but like older. I guess, uh, like the really good veteran cornerbacks who are expensive and have like a little bit of injury history. And so like, I think, I think a third rounder would get it done for the Saints. Yeah. yeah. He'll be, he'll be 28 next, like in week one. And Darius is going to turn 31 in like a month or two. Yeah. What? So there people it is. Are saying, get, yes. your, get your Lattimore 22 now. Yeah. The, the people are saying, all right. 
last uh, week, last episode, weren't able to get to uh, some fan questions. So we're going to go ahead and take them now. I guess I mentioned that quite a few people. Yeah, 23 replies. So haven't filtered them mm-hmm. to see which ones are actually serious. I can never <laughs> depend on 100% serious question answers in this regard. So we'll go through them and see what we got. First one's from Demetrius Harvey. You know, good old pal, the TU, says, looking back at Darius Williams' time in L.A., it seemed like you played a lot of press man and did well. Do you guys see the same, or do you feel like they ran a different style of man there than what Nelson bring, Nielsen brings? Answer off the air. Well, this answer is on the air, and I'll be honest, I don't really <laughs> have a, any takes on the uh, Rams 2021-2021. Defense. It was Raheem Morris in 2021, right? And Vic Fangio and not Vic Fangio, um, Brandon Staley in 2020, correct? Yeah. That's so, I mean, Raheem and Staley are there's two guys known for like predominantly man and press coverage. No, I think like Staley will use it like time to time, like his like kind of like famous game plan against the Dolphins last year. His corners used press, but like I wouldn't say a lot. So like I kind of with you where like I don't know exactly how Darius Williams was used in that Rams team, but like just to kind of repeat what I think I said last week, I think Darius would like be fine as a starter. Like obviously Marshawn Lattimore or someone like that would be an upgrade and they should certainly add to the position even for long-term, if not for short-term. And so like I think – I think they could go into the season like with Tyson and Darius being their like two best cornerbacks during training camp. Um, but it would be nice to upgrade or at least like get like a rookie in the building who's like has a potential to be better than Darius by the end of the season. Yeah. Because I like especially with like the man team, like when you run like uh cover zero and so many like blitz looks, like you really need like not just like one or two guys who can live on an island, but like three or almost even four. And so, like, I, it would, it would, I think like Darius is like, even if he's not a perfect scheme fit, I think he's a good enough scheme fit that they could keep him around. Yeah. I don't necessarily, you know, disagree with you. I think he, he's the type of player who, at the very least, like, he can still, like you said, he can be on the roster either way. It's just there are more avenues to upgrading, you know be it this game than any other one. All right, next one from Robert Leahy. Are there any worries that the Falcons' defensive improvements were because of an extremely weak schedule just as much as they were because of the Nielsen addition? No, they played that same weak schedule every other year they've been a franchise. So, no, I I, 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 I don't think that's even like half of a half of a half a percent of a thing I believe in. Yeah, I mean the Falcons like did play an easy schedule last year. Like if you like if you look at EPA and success rate, the Falcons did a little bit better in those metrics than they did in DVOA because DVOA adjusts for opponent strength. But like the Falcons were still a good defense by DVOA, so like it wasn't that much of a difference. Yeah, that's not a bad point. All right, next one. Not gonna read the at so Steven private account. Does this mean Trayvon will get more snaps inside? Like, maybe marginally, but I wouldn't think, like, that many. Like, like Nielsen likes big edges, so he's going to want Trayvon on the edge, you know, probably as much as possible. Like, I think you're going to see him, like, 
a lot of like pass rush games and stuff that you know maybe send him inside, but maybe not a lot of him lining up truly inside. Yeah, I think there still will be like a noticeable difference going from scheme to scheme, just like because even if he's going to be like in like on an edge player and an edge defender in both last year and uh, this upcoming year, uh, I think he's going to like have had a hand off the dirt last year and he's going to have a hand in the dirt this year. And that could make like a world of difference because like the get off that you get as a defensive lineman makes a really big difference snap, snap to snap. And like we've seen that Trayvon's get off is way better when he's in a three point stance. And so I think like, even though like, like at a certain point, like him just putting a hand in the dirt is like kind of become like an overblown thing. Like it still will make a big difference. Yeah. I think that's a good point. I think honestly him dropping in the coverage less might be the biggest other difference. Honestly. Like I just, I, he just had 10 sacks. I don't think they're going to take him off the edge anytime soon. Yeah. No, I think he's going to be like set up really well as like kind of like, the big end or like the strong side end in Nielsen's yeah. defense. I think that's probably like, I mean, I talked a lot about like Cisco being like his new Jesse Bates, but I feel like Trayvon is probably like the single best defender in terms of like fit for Nielsen. Yeah, no, I, I think a Nielsen hire can be like a boon for his career, honestly. So I'm with yeah. you. All right, next from Kyle. How do you think the aggressiveness of the defense will affect Doug Stewie of offense and complimentary football? I, I, I'm not sure that there's any schemes that complement each other well. It's good offense and good defense, really. You know, like if if the defense isn't allowing Derrick Henry to run all over them while the offense scores 10 points in his first two possessions and get out to a 14-10 deficit, then they'll complement his offense, you know, well. <laughs> it just no. it, A good defense will complement his offense. It goes as simple as that, I think. The Chiefs have been a good example of that in the playoffs so far because, like, Against the Bills, they kind of lit up the scoreboard because, like, they knew that, like, Josh Allen is also kind of like a superhuman who can go toe-to-toe with Mahomes. And so they really had to put a lot of points on the board. And then against the Ravens, like, they were able to kind of get out to an early lead and let the defense win that game for them. And so, I mean, they've definitely been, like, kind of carried by the defense a lot. But, I mean, they also have Patrick Mahomes. And so I think they've done a good job of kind of balancing this year of like not leaning too much on the homes, but then obviously not leaning too much on the defense when you have do have the homes. Oh no, hundred percent. It's the, the Chiefs right now like the best case of like a defense supporting a quarterback, I think. They they they, they can win any any style of game. Uh, and vice versa too, because like Mahomes is like playing mistake free right now, which is incredible because like as cool as like his sidearm throws and like backyard football plays are like the best thing about him is how he plays like mistake free and just always makes the right decisions. And then he gets all of those like highlight plays on top of it. So he does a really good job of like, just like not putting his defense in bad spots too. Yeah. That's a, that's a good call. All right. Next one. Who would you love at pick 17? I feel like that one doesn't come from a listener. I, I, I couldn't name you 17 players in the draft, let alone who I think would be a good pick. I think just from watching, like the senior bowl coverage on Twitter, that Toledo quarterback, you know, Kenyon yeah. Mitchell looks pretty impressive. I mean, definitely doesn't seem like a guy who's going to go in the thirties, like people were saying, you know, pre-senior bowl. So I don't know. He'd be, a, he'd be an interesting guy. I, I think the Oregon center has looked, you know, pretty, I think what you would expect for like a drafts top center to look like, but also 
there's been like three or four different centers I've seen people say have a case as the best center. So if it is a deep center draft, I don't think that's yeah. Like I don't think the Jaguars were a center first round center away from being a competitive, you know, team necessarily. So that, that's that's more or less where I stand right now. I'm not going to fall into the trick of mocking them a pass rusher again. I'm not going to do it, guys. I did it last year. I entertained the idea. Nolan Smith, all of that. I'm not going to do it again. I, I'm not going to project them a dang pass rusher. They'll draft one eventually, but I'm not going to project one in the first round. They have trade even if a guy like. Uh, Jared Bears from Florida State, or uh, whoever that guy is from Alabama. If either of them are there at seventeen, they're picking someone else. If Nolan Smith's at twenty nine, are they picking someone else? <laughs> See? If if I had told you a week before the draft they would trade down to twenty nine or where twenty seven, wherever the hell they picked, and they pass on Nolan Smith, you would have called me crazy, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. But the draft is just man, we get caught up so easily in reports right. and which some of them are the reports. Excuse me. Yeah, I, I feel like you can't really be like a screen watcher for the senior bowl. It'd be way better to be there in person and watch it rather than just kind of like base stuff off of either NFL network or Twitter. But with that said said that Toledo kid looks incredible. I would definitely be happy with him at 17 as things stand right now. I was kind of struggling to come up with another name. I feel like it's it's either him or like Someone that's like really cool falls like Brock Bowers somehow makes it all the way to the teens. That that'd be something, wouldn't it? I was thinking about that earlier. Like, I don't think that it will happen, but like if Brock Bowers did make it to 17, I would say there's like a eight percent chance that happens. But if it happens, like do the Jaguars just have to take him? Do you think they were the odds you think they'd pass on him and then say we have a talented tight end we took in the second round last year? I mean, 100% that would be with their <laughs> argument or their reasoning or whatever. Yeah. All right. Next one. 3-4 or 4-3 or both. And will that decision be based on personnel available or will the personnel acquired or will the personnel acquired be based on that decision? Well, that's so, really, answer. really getting into the nitty-gritty. I mean, just a simple okay. answer. Like, like the simple answer is like me and you don't know, you know, like until <laughs> Brian Nielsen talks, like nobody knows that he's traditionally like a four three guy in base, but he ran a lot of multiple fronts with Atlanta last year. And you're also mostly a nickel. So it, it just, that conversation just doesn't really matter as much as people think anymore. Like I know Pete, like the biggest thing is your edges will drop in pass coverage and the three, four is the biggest difference. And how many times really, you know, were, were they doing that? People complain because it was a few notable times, but it's not like they're doing it like like 50% of their snaps or anything like that. Right. Yeah, I think the answer to both of those questions is both because, like, it's going to be both a 4-3 and a 3-4 and a 4-2 and a 3-3-5 and, like, a bunch of different fronts. And it's going to be based off both players who are here already, like Josh Allen and Trayvon and Devon Hamilton as well as players that they're eventually going to bring in both this year and in future years. And so like, it's somewhere in the middle for both of them, but like if you have to make a binary, I think it's like more of a four, three than it is a three, four in at least Nielsen's vision for a perfect defense. And then like, if it's his vision for a perfect, perfect defense, it would probably be more of players that he brings in versus yeah. guys that are here. Yeah, I mean, some guys he'll be forced to fit because <laughs> there are some guys who, just cap wise, like half have to be there, you know. 
yeah, so I'm, I'm I'm with you on that one. Okay, let's pull up the next one. How many 2023 starters could be released for cap purposes based on Nielsen's emphasis? Nielsen's emphasis? Uh, maybe Williams. I think Jenkins would have been released if they hired you as defensive coordinator. Uh, Fadakasi, <laughs> I, I don't think. Fadakasi, I think also. It doesn't really matter. Agreed. No notes. Yeah. So, all right, let me move on to the uh, next one. Okay. John, I hate when, I hate when they start my name. That, that's what I know they're about to go in. But it's not. <laughs> oh, that's so true. <laughs> okay. Bless you. Yeah, thank you. John, while you were adamant about taking a corner, who else is on your radar or outside of corner? If possible, do you hear anything this early on the process as who the Jaguars might have interest in? No, not this early. I know there was – thank you. (laughs) I know there was something from, like, the Jets ESPN reporter (laughs) saying their GM has already fallen in love with the (laughs) I've never seen – That's the tweet of the week. I've never seen something like that this early. Mostly you start hearing about things, like, about around the combine. Like, that's when you start hearing about Trayvon really from agents and stuff was around the combine. That's when you started hearing like, oh, you know, Trent Balky actually really likes Trayvon Walker, et cetera. So I I think corner still has a chance to be the pick, despite Balky having a chance to do the funniest thing and make a pick strictly to own me. Uh, I think interior offensive line and interior defensive line could also be the picks. And hey, maybe he takes a right tackle. Maybe he just, you know, just laughs and ass off and takes a right tackle. That that'd be that I have to tip my hat to it. It'd be it'd be funny. It'd be funny, man. I feel like the draft sets up just like so perfectly for corner because I feel like yeah. Terion Arnold is gonna go before seventeen for sure. But then like, even though Cooper DeGene isn't a great scheme fit, and like I feel like I like Mitchell more than uh, Wiggins from Clemson right now. Like there's like just a gonna be a run of corners in like the teens, yeah, and, or like uh, even in like the early twenties. So I feel like the Jags are set up well for that. An offensive line in general would just be my answer to the question of like what would come after corner. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you there. All right. Any concerns with front office terminal with turmoil terminal, Jesus. Turmoil with a potential power struggle with Doug and Trent, or is this just us overanalyzing from the outside? No, I don't concern myself with those things. Two, we kind of already addressed it. When you lose people, point fingers, and three. Yes, you are overanalyzing it from the outside, regardless of what, even if it's like valid and a thing, you're probably still overanalyzing. If you're analyzing it, you're overanalyzing it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well said. No notes. All right. The Sneed or a big time man corner become a top priority in free agency or the draft? I really don't know. I I really don't know how they're going to attack it. It, I I think I agree with you. I don't think they're going to throw money. At a corner free agency, I think they add to the position, but I don't think they pay like a Snead or a Jalen Johnson. Yeah. So what what you should do generally is address your needs in free agency so that you can like draft for value in April. And so like they should, even if they don't get a Snead, which again, like I don't think he is going to end up leaving Kansas City, but he would be perfect. Uh, like even if you don't get a sneed, you gotta like add add at least like one body to that room so that like the draft doesn't come around and you're like, oh, we absolutely have to take a cornerback in the first two rounds. Like 
you just want to like pigeonhole yourself as little as possible for the draft. And so like, I feel like a guy like Stefan Gilmore would be a really good fit. Cause he's like, can win and press man. Uh, he's like a veteran guy who wouldn't cost like a ton of money. Dude, the Cowboys have a lot of contracts to sign. So I'd be a little surprised if he re-ups there. Uh, but so like someone who's like ideally good enough to start, start, but at the same time, is it going to break the bank? You need someone in yeah. like that agency. Yeah. Okay. I, I'll, I'll just come out and say it. Several of these next questions are stuff like, what is the process like interviewing your coordinator? Uh, how are they going to choose personnel based on Nielsen, Nielsen scheme, power struggle, et cetera. It's going to go ahead and outright say like we've one already feel like we kind of answered those. And two, I, I don't have anything new to add to any of that. Uh, what are the concerns with Nielsen seeing a lot of the pop so far? I mean, uh, fact that I guess he's only been a coordinator for two years. Um, that's it. I feel like that was the only thing I could come up with last year. Is that like yeah. the only thing I could think of was that his lack of experience calling plays. I, his defenses don't get many takeaways, but I also don't think takeaways are a coach thing at all. I think it's mostly mostly luck. Yeah, it's definitely – I think coaches can play like a little bit into it because you can kind of like get into your head about it and like – I don't know. I, I think luck is definitely the majority factor though. But I think with Nielsen, like one potential worry would have been like the staff that he hired, but like that that worry has already been like kind of like checked off as no longer a worry because essentially of one hire when he brought in Chris Richards to be like the secondary coach and maybe defensive passing game coordinator. Again, I forget what his official title is, but like before the Nielsen hire happened, I was kind of going back and forth of like whether it would be best for the Jaguars to get a guy who was really good at coaching the secondary or really good at coaching the defensive line because like the defensive line was kind of like the biggest weakness for the defense last year. There's so many, like, I mean, um, between Antonio Johnson and Andre Cisco and Tyson Campbell, there's some like exciting young guys in the secondary uh, and the Jags ended up like not choosing really between the two of them, but got two guys who can coach like both units really well and like marry the two of them together I was listening to Coach Campo from 1010XL on his podcast talking about how, like, how his one concern would have been that, like, Nielsen is going to, like, solve a lot of the issues with the front and solve a lot of issues with, like, the run defense. Yeah. But like, he, would, he would need someone to, like, help out with the pass defense, and he ended up getting that guy. So, again, like, there's – can't really think of any true worries for him. Yeah, no, whenever the Chris Richard hire is made official, I think that's, like, a legit game changer. Like, he would – Fantastic coach in New Orleans. Good pass defenses in Dallas. Good pass defenses. Good player development in New Orleans. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's obviously been a really good coach throughout his career. All right, last one, Gus. Can the Jazz get a comp pick for Ridley in 2025 if he signs elsewhere a free agent? They can't free agency. They can. It just like the reason they got so many comp picks this year is because they didn't sign anybody. Like you basically, you're not going to get any comp picks if you're aggressive in free agency. So it. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can let Ridley walk and say you're doing it so you can get a high cop pick if you're going to be aggressive in free agency anyways. Like, if you're going to be aggressive, you got to keep Ridley. Yeah, like, the comp pick, like, it might work out for you down the road, but, like, you shouldn't make any decision based off of that. And I feel like Ridley, like, a big reason that I expect him to stay is partially because, like, there would just be such a hole in the 
position group if he like left and they didn't really have a plan. So like the same argument I was making with like the Marshawn Lattimore take where like Darius Williams isn't going to get like just get cut uh, unless they like actually have like kind of like a plan or at least more time for a plan. But I think the depth chart for the receivers would just be so dire that like they kind of have to bring Ridley back even if they don't have the tag like accessible to them. Yeah, I, I, we're at lockstep on that one. I I think Ridley's going to hit free agency and then they bring him back. But, I mean, you run the risk of him obviously getting fielding other offers. He, okay, he, here's my thing. You're Trent Baalke. I'm Ridley's agency. Ridley wants two years, $34 million, $25 million guaranteed. You're Trent Baalke. You do that deal? So that's $17 million a year, $25 million guaranteed over two years. <laughs> I personally I feel like that's about as friendly as I don't know. I feel like I have to like look more at numbers, but I'm sure he's gonna come up with some reason. Be like like similar to how you were saying with like Lawrence, like he's like and even with Josh Allen, like, oh, I gotta see it one more time. Like Ridley did have like an incredible season. Like I don't think he should have been the comeback player of the year, but he should definitely should have been a finalist for it. Uh and so I wouldn't be surprised if Balky was like no, I don't want to give him 25 million guaranteed because I've only seen it for one year. I want to give them like maybe 34 over two years, but with 15 guaranteed. That's fair. That's fair. All right, guys. You got anything else for us? Um, I got one take that maybe I'll explain a little bit more last week, but I think the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl by du- by double digits. Ooh, <sighs> poor lines. It. it... I, I hate the Lions for that loss because all of, like, the Purdy, like, push glasses up. Guess he's not a game manager now tweets when, yeah, the scrambles were impressive, but it's, like, literally the story of the game was a ball bounced off the face of the Lions guy. Yeah. You know, like, that, like, that's it. You know, like, he, he is God's favorite child. He does have some of the best luck of any quarterback I've ever seen. That's why I'm bowing out of that fight, so. Patrick Mahomes saved this course. That's, that's all I can really please, say. Please, Pat, please. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you guys for joining us. We'll be back next Wednesday. This was episode 88 of the Jaguar Report. God, who would have thought, guys? Who, who would have thought? So I'm John Shipley, my co-host friend, Gus Love. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll be back next week.